Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. Good morning, everybody. Y'all doing all right? Always good to be here with you. There's a story told of the evangelist Billy Graham that he completed a uh, crusade in Miami, and he dropped his water. Don't let this water fool you. I'm not planning to preach this long. But he completed this crusade in Miami Beach, and he was flying out the next day to start a new crusade in another location. And he had never driven a limo, always wanted to drive a limo, so he convinced his limo driver to let him drive. So the limo driver got in the back seat, he got into the driver's seat, put on the chauffeur's hat, headed out on I-95 outside of Miami, headed to the airport. We got out in that wide open highway, he floored that limo up to about 120 miles an hour, passed a state trooper, state trooper pulled him over, came up to the uh, driver's side window, Billy Graham rolls down the window, the trooper recognizes him immediately. He says, excuse me, sir, let me go call this in. He goes back to his police car, gets on the radio, calls into his chief, he says, chief, I have pulled over a limo, I have a very high profile person that I need help with. And the chief said, please don't tell me you pulled over the governor again. He said, no, I didn't, I didn't pull over the governor. He said, you didn't pull over Senator Rubio, did you know? Somebody more important than that. He said, you didn't pull over the president of the United States. He said, no, even somebody more important than that. He said, well, who can be more important than the president of the United States? And the officer says, well, I'm not for sure, but I think I pulled over Jesus Christ because Billy Graham's driving his limo. <laughs> that is a bad joke. And it's not a true story, obviously. However, the questions of the identity of Christ are quite true. Who is Jesus Christ? Is he who he claimed to be, or is he some made-up, fabricated story? There are those within our culture that claim that the real Jesus of history and his message has been replaced by the Jesus and the message of the church. And that the Jesus of the message of a church is that Jesus came as God. He died as the Savior of the world to forgive all humanity of their sins. He resurrected bodily from the dead and is to be worshipped as God. But the claim is that is a made-up story. That is not the message of the true historical Jesus. Now that has been an accusation or a claim for many, many years, but it really came on in great popularity and took more uh, uh, notice over the past 10 years, basically because of a book written by Dan Brown called The Da Vinci Code. You may be familiar with it. It came into a big movie directed by Ron Howard and starring Tom Hanks. In fact, Dan Brown's got a new movie made out of a book that is The Inferno, which is out right now starring Tom Hanks. But in the book Da Vinci Code, the main character by the name of T-Bing makes this statement. He says, scholars claim that the early church literally stole Jesus from his original followers, hijacking his human message, shrouding it in an impenetrable cloak of divinity, and using it to expand their power. Now, he's making reference to a claim that, that about 300 years after the, the historical Jesus died, people in political and religious 
power conspired together and through propaganda, they took the face of the real historical Jesus and wrapped it in this idea that He was God, the Savior, the resurrected Lord, and to be worshipped as God, all for the purpose of advancing their political and religious cause. And people are saying today, we've got to get back to what the real historical Jesus was and taught, and let's do away with this Christ of the faith and the church that it is made up story. Well, when you look at evidence, historically, scholarship evidence, you really have to look and see that Jesus of history is really the Christ to be worshipped as God. That they are one and the same. That Jesus is who He claimed He was. And this morning, we want to talk about who is this Jesus as we continue in the series that Pastor Jeremy referenced on the Holy Trinity. Now, when we talk about the Holy Trinity... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We need to understand the phrase Holy Trinity and the word Trinity you will not find in the Bible. But the reality that God exists, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you will find in the opening book of Genesis all the way through to the closing book of the Bible in Revelation. So to quickly look at who the Holy Trinity is, let's talk about who the Holy Trinity is not. When we're talking about the Holy Trinity, we're not talking about there are three names for God. God's name, first name is not Father, His middle name is not Son, and His last name is not Holy Spirit. We're also not talking about three different gods. We're talking about one God. And we're not talking about God acting three different ways, that sometimes He acts like a Father, sometimes He acts like the Son, sometimes He acts like a Spirit. No, when we're talking about the Holy Trinity, we're talking about this. We are talking about one God, existing in three distinct, coexistent, co-equal, and co-eternal persons. Read that definition out loud with me, please. One God, existing in three distinct, coexistent, co-equal, and co-eternal persons, often referred to as the three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three are equally, completely God as the other one is. So when you're talking about Jesus, the Son, He is God. He is God who came in the flesh. He's the only one of His kind uniquely uh, uh, combined together as 100% God and 100% human. As a human, He can relate and connect to our human condition, but as God, He's able to bring us the presence and power of God. This is who Jesus Christ is, or is that just a part of the made-up story? Is that a myth? Is that, again, something... A bunch of power-hungry people put together to advance a religious and political agenda. Well, to look at this idea, we're going to look at a conversation that Jesus Christ had with his followers. One of the eyewitnesses of Jesus, Matthew, records this conversation in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. Here's how this conversation goes that Matthew records. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. The first thing I want to point out is in this short conversation, we see the Holy Trinity being reverenced. We see Jesus, the Son, God the Son. We see Him talk about God the Father directly. But then He says to Simon Peter, Blessed are you, 
You couldn't figure this out on your own. Only the revelation of the Father could have shown this to you. Well, how did the revelation of the Father come to Peter? It came by the Holy Spirit. So in this simple conversation, we see the Trinity reference, two direct references and one indirect reference. But in here, we also see two things. We see what the original followers of Christ believed about him and what Christ claimed about himself. And that's what we want to drill down on here this morning. And the first thing we see is that the original followers claimed that Christ was God. They believed he was God. What was the response when he asked them, who do you say that I am? They said, or at least Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The word Christ means anointed one. The word Christ is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed one. And the Jews were believing that one would come from God who was God, the Messiah, who would deliver them. In essence, by calling Jesus the Christ, they are calling Him God. And His early followers are saying that. They are saying, you are the Christ. In essence, you are God. And what's interesting, in the New Testament, there are 27 writings 26 out of those 27 writings call Jesus the Christ. And in those 27, 26 writings, they call Jesus Christ over 500 times. So his original followers, his earliest followers, claimed and believed that he was the Christ. In essence, he was God. It's not something that got made up 300 years after the real historical Jesus had left this earth. No, from the get-go, his believers claimed and believed that he was God. Now, what we have to understand here is this. To Believe in events of history, things that took place in the past that we aren't witnesses of. We have to read the documents that describe those events. What makes historical documents describing historical events accurate and reliable and credible is that the closest those original writings of those documents are to the events that they are describing, the more accurate, reliable, and credible those documents are, and we can believe on the facts that they're reporting about history. So the closest the original documents are to the events that they're describing, the more reliable. When you look at the New Testament, the New Testament was completed between 50 and 90 A.D. Jesus Christ left this earth in 30 A.D., So 20 to 60 years after Jesus left this earth, the writings about him were completed. They're that close to the events that took place. There are things of history we accept as factual and actually taking place based on writings that are 500 to 1,000 years beyond the time the events took place that they are describing. What I'm saying is, when you look at the New Testament writings, they are some of the most credible, reliable, and accurate writings of history that we have. Therefore, we can say, His earliest followers believed on Him as God. It's not something somebody hijacked and made up 300 years later to advance a cause. His followers believed. He was God, but, but so what? What did he believe? What did he claim? If, if he didn't claim or believe it, who really cares? Well, Jesus Christ claimed he was God. What did Christ say when Simon Peter said, you are the Christ? He said, blessed are you. 
Blessed are you. You got it. He confirms what Simon Peter said. If Jesus wasn't God, this would have been the perfect time to say, hey, wait a minute, back up the truck. No, let's, let's get this straight once and for all. Let's clear this up. I'm not God. You got it wrong. I'm not the guy. That's not what he does. Blessed are you. He confirms it. He says, you got it. Well done. You, you nailed it. I am God. He claims it. In fact, when you read what the New Testament writes about him, he certainly acted like God. I mean, he, he went around and he forgave sins. He told people, your sins are forgiven. He said to them, be forgiven. Only God could forgive sins. He also performed miracles. Not just sleight of hand miracles, but he performed miracles like calming the storm. He performed miracles like, like calming the winds. He walked on water. He raised the dead. Only God could do that. He received worship. He didn't tell people, don't worship me. When they worshiped him, he let them do it. He received worship. He also promised eternal life. Only God could promise eternal life. He said, you follow me, you believe in me, and I will give you eternal life. Only God could do that. But he claimed it. He said, I'll give you eternal life. And for the greatest miracle that he performed that gives all of us eternal life is his resurrection from the dead. Now, only God could do that. Only God could take death and have the power to transform it into life. The greatest evidence that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be is his resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, then we don't need to believe anything else about Jesus. We don't need to put our trust in Him. We don't need to rely on Him. We just need to close up shop and let's all go have brunch. If He didn't raise from the dead, don't put any faith in Him whatsoever. But if He did, if He did, then my very existence depends on who this Jesus is. See, this is why it's crucial to identify who Jesus is. Because if Jesus is who He claims He is, then all of human life, all of human destiny rests in who He is. That's how crucial this, this decision and this resolving of this question is. If He isn't who He claimed to be, then it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter because that's the linchpin of what sets him apart from anybody else that claims to be God or claims any truth about God. Now we could spend all day looking at the evidences that show us the resurrection did happen. And we don't have all day, but I do want to focus in on one piece of evidence about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, it's what his earliest followers believed and claimed about him. And this comes out of the letter that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And he writes this letter around 50 A.D., so only about 20 years after Christ had left this earth. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. He says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you which you received and in which you have taken your stand. Now, verse 3, here's the gospel. 
For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He says, here's the gospel. Christ died according to the Scriptures, buried, raised according to the Scriptures. A couple of quick things. Number one, they call him the Christ. He's calling him God. Secondly, he says this is according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures is he referring to? Old Testament. New Testament Scriptures went around. He's giving validity to the reality and the credibility of the Old Testament. That it predicted and it prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus ever came on the scene. He would be crucified for the sins of the whole humanity. He would be buried and he would raise from the dead. This is what Paul proclaimed just 20 years after Christ was gone. Hey, this is it. The Christ raised from the dead. They believed, claimed he raised from the dead. Now, I want you to notice something. Back up for me, please. This phrase right here, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That phrase, what I received and passed on, that's a rabbinical phrase. It's a phrase that a teacher would use at that time. When he would say that, it would indicate to the listeners, you're about to receive a creed. You're about to hear a creed. A creed, back then much like today, is something that a group, an organization, puts together that preserves and protects and helps people to remember their core values and their fundamental beliefs as a group. And Paul is saying, what I receive, this creed, I give to you. And this creed of the early church, their core values, their fundamental beliefs included Christ raised from the dead. In other words, this idea that Christ raised from the dead is not something a power-hungry group of people made up 300 years after the real Jesus was on this earth. His earliest followers believed, yes, Christ raised from the dead. Now the question is, when did Paul receive this? Paul's given this to the Corinthian church 20 years after Christ left. But when did Paul receive it? He says, what I received, I pass on. When might he have received this creed? Well, quite likely, not too long after he chose to follow Jesus Christ, he received it when he made a visit to Jerusalem. In fact, Paul writes about this visit in another letter of the New Testament he wrote called Galatians. And this is what he said in Galatians 1, 18 through 19. Then after three years, Paul says, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days, two weeks. And I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. James is the half-brother of Jesus. They both share the same mother, Mary. But Paul is saying, I spent two weeks in Jerusalem with Peter. This is three years after he has chosen to follow Jesus Christ. Most likely in that time spent with Peter... Paul would have received this creed because most likely these earliest followers who were the closest to Christ, which was Simon Peter, who witnessed the death of Christ, who witnessed the resurrection of Christ, they would have formed this creed that says the fundamental truth, the core values of what we say and believe and claim about Jesus Christ is that Christ resurrected from the dead. So when would this have been that this creed was already beginning to circulate? Well, let's go here to this little chart. Christ's resurrection was 30 A.D., History tells us Paul was in Jerusalem that he's referring to in Galatians around 35 to 38 A.D. In other words, we're talking five to eight years. We know that no later than five to eight years 
after Jesus had left this earth, a creed put together by the original followers of Christ was circulating everywhere that said Christ resurrected from the dead. Not made up 300 years to hijack the real claims of the real Jesus. If you're not a follower of Christ in the room, if you have a heart that's seeking Him, I want to encourage you. If, if you choose not to believe in Him as who He claims to be, don't do it based on this idea that the claims of Christ espoused by the church are some made-up story and not the truth of the real Jesus because that is simply not true. I encourage you, open your heart to look at what the evidence says about who this Jesus Christ is. His followers believed He raised from the dead. Now, one of the things that really strikes me in this creed is that the rest of the creed includes names of people who actually saw the resurrected Christ. Paul continues and he writes this, that He, the resurrected Christ, appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to the James and then to the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Why is that significant? Why the idea that he includes actual names of people who saw the resurrected Christ? Why would that be significant? Because if this is circulating three to eight, five to eight years after the resurrection of Christ, if this is circulating... All these people are still alive. People that read or hear this creed can go find these individuals. They can go find Simon Peter. They can find Paul. They can find James. They can find some of the 12. They can find some of the apostles. They can find some of the 500 and say, hey, this thing's out here that you saw the resurrected Christ. Is that true or not? And they could either confirm or deny it. And I want to tell you something. If these folks would have denied it, Christianity would never have made it out of the first century. It never would have made it out of there. That's why this is so significant. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of the Bible, doesn't try to hide anything. It's very wide open. Come, check it out, it says. Because it is the truth of the living God. And look at the people He appeared to. Look at the names they're listing. These aren't homers that they're listing here. Simon Peter. He denied Jesus three times. When Jesus needed him the most in the Garden of Gethsemane, a kid comes up to him and says, Hey, you're one of the followers. Never fought, never know, didn't know, don't know the man at all. A woman comes up, Hey, you're one of his. No, don't know the guy. Been walking with him for over three years. Even cursed him. Simon Peter was this cowardly betrayer. And then what does history tell us? Simon Peter was crucified upside down because he wouldn't denounce Jesus Christ. What changed him from this cowardly betrayer to this courageous martyr? He experienced and saw the resurrected Christ. And then James, the half-brother of Jesus. Except for Mary, maybe Joseph the dad, the rest of Jesus' family thought Jesus was a lunatic. 
In fact, in the Gospels, a couple of places, they tried to have him apprehended and put him in the insane asylum. They thought he was crazy. Look, I had an older brother that claimed that he was Jesus Christ in my life. He tried to exercise rule and authority over me. I understand what it means to think your brother is nuts. But then you know what history tells us about James? He became the head of the church in Jerusalem. And he was martyred by being thrown off of a cliff. When he landed at the bottom, he didn't die. You know what happened? The mob that was there gathered around him and beat him to death because he wouldn't denounce Christ as Lord. What takes a half-brother who thinks his brother-brother is nuts and transforms him to where he's willing to die because he's the Christ. He experienced the resurrected Christ. The Apostle Paul, what did he do? He persecuted the church. He tried to put the movement down. He had people killed. He put people in prison. He persecuted the church. And then we see he becomes the greatest promoter of Christ. He was beheaded because he wouldn't denounce Jesus. What takes somebody persecuting the church to become a promoter of the church to become martyred by beheading? He experienced the resurrected Christ. In fact, in the book of Acts, he tells his story three times of how he experienced the resurrected Christ. And I want to tell you something. Today, all over this world, especially in areas where you have religions where people choose, if people make the decision they want to get out of that religion, they could be put to death, they could be imprisoned, they could be ostracized, especially when you look at the Islamic faith. But all over this world, what we don't hear about, but we hear through the underground church, more and more Muslims are coming to Jesus Christ. Why? They are literally experiencing the resurrected Christ. I have a couple of former Muslim friends who are now followers of Christ, and the only way they could come to Christ is the resurrected Christ physically appeared to them. We as a church, both campuses, support a missionary named Ali who plants underground churches all throughout northern Africa, which is a strong Islamic territory. He himself was a former Muslim. How did he come to Jesus Christ? The resurrected Christ appeared to him, and he had about a two to three hour conversation with him. Now, us in this room, we may not get a physical vision of a resurrected Christ. He may not appear to us in that way. But next week, you're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And you and I in here, if you're a follower of Christ, when you make that decision to follow Him, you know that something happens inside of you. Some type of new life, some type of new power rises up within you. That is the Holy Spirit bringing the resurrected life and power of Jesus Christ into you. See, here's the deal. Christ does not come to offer us a religion. He offers us Himself. He doesn't come to bring religious dogma. He brings Himself. What did he ask his followers in the conversation back in Matthew? He did not say, hey, what do people say about my teachings? That's not what he said. What do people believe about my beliefs? That's not what he said. He said, who do people say I am? See, that's what sets him apart. 
from any other truth claim or religious ideal. He said, I want you to know me. Erwin Lutzer, who's a theologian, author, writer, speaker, he wrote a book called Christ Among Other Gods. And I want to read this, this excerpt. It's, it's rather long, but it really captures to me the essence of who Jesus is and what He wants to do. Here's what he writes. He says, During the Russian Revolution of 1918, Lenin said that if communism were implemented, there would be bread for every household. Yet he never had the nerve to say like Jesus, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Hitler made a claim for the role of Germany on this planet, believing that he was beginning a thousand-year right a rule. Despite these outlandish claims, Hitler was never able to say, like Jesus, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. Buddha taught enlightenment, yet he died seeking more light, and he never was able to say, like Jesus, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Muhammad claimed that he and his tribes were descendants from Abraham through Ishmael, one of Abraham's sons. But he did not say like Jesus, before Abraham was born, I am. Freud believed that psychotherapy would heal people's emotional, spiritual pains. But he could not say like Jesus, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. New Age gurus say that we will all be reincarnated, yet not one of them can say like Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Who is this Jesus? He is God. He is Lord. He is risen. He is healer. He is forgiver. He is redeemer. He is everything he claims to be now and forevermore. See, comes and says, receive me. I am what you're looking for. And you know what that says to me today? If I am a follower of Christ in this room, it says I can have confidence in my faith. That I can have full assurance in God's promises. That I can have a hope for a future regardless of what's happening today. Tells me I can have a calm boldness. That I can walk out into a world that is so divided in anger and hatred and bitterness and prejudice and uncertainty. And I can calmly proclaim and demonstrate what it means to love your enemies. What it means to do good to those that mistreat you. What it means to pray for those that hate you. What it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Not because these are nice, good, civilized words, though they are, but because that's who Jesus Christ is. And the question for all of us in the room is the same question 
Christ asked the followers 2,000 years ago in this conversation in Matthew. Here's the question for all of us. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? That's the question that still resonates in this room. I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes, if you would, please. And those of you that are here today, and if you're here today and you're struggling with fear and anxiety about whatever, maybe what's happening all around you, let me encourage you today, step towards Jesus. Allow Him to fill you with the peace and assurance that you need. If you're here today and you're struggling with the guilt of sin, I ask you just to step towards Jesus in repentance. Let Him forgive you and cleanse you. If you're here today and you're struggling with a sense of hope and a future and what's next, I just invite you to step towards Jesus and allow Him to fill you with a sense of confidence, a sense of destiny that He has you in the palm of His hand. If you're here today and you just feel empty and dry and worn out, I invite you to step towards Jesus and let Him fill you afresh and anew with His presence and power. And maybe you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Christ, but today you want to make that decision. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me, especially everybody in this room to pray this prayer with me. But those that are saying, you know what, I need to accept this Jesus that's real and alive, I want you to especially pray this prayer. But everybody praying this prayer out loud with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for me, that my sins would be forgiven. Thank you that he resurrected from the dead, that I might have eternal life. I confess my sins. I need a Savior. Be my Savior. Please forgive my sins. I give you my life. Lead me. Guide me. Direct me. Be my Lord today. Thank you that my sins are forgiven. Thank you that you live in me by your Spirit. Thank you that I have eternal life in you. I belong to you. You belong to me forever. Father, I pray that be so in this room right now. Every person that has taken a step towards your Son, Jesus Christ, today, I pray everything that they're needing from Him, it's flooding into their soul, their heart, their mind, their spirit, everything about them. That they are experiencing, all of us, the resurrected Christ. He lives. And because He lives, we too shall live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.